Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. We are on the third in the third chapter of Shmot, uh, Exodus. Uh, I believe we did all of the Rashi's in verse five, which positions us at verse six. The pagination for those of us in the Torah Chaim Chumash are on page Kaf Vav. Um, and just to give us a little bit of momentum, um, I'll read the previous verse to give us, just to kind of remind us where we are. So verse five was, and I'm just keep having to pause myself to let people in. Verse five was Vayomer Altikrav Halom. Um, Moshe was told, but God said to Moshe, don't come, halom, something like closer to here. Shal ne'alecha me'al raglecha, remove your shoe or take off your shoe from your foot. Ki ha'makum, for the place, asher made a love upon which you stand. Admat kodesh hu, is a land, is earth of holiness. Uh, and we uh, spent some time with the Rashi figuring out what shall means and and is it a, is it a, is it a one motion or a two motion act and the grammar of admat kodesh who as opposed to admat kodesh he unless there are se- um, severely important lingering concerns about that verse Rebecca does that rely to that level <laughs> Rebecca Shah. So I wasn't I wasn't able to attend last week, so I listened to the recording last night. So it's fresh in my mind, okay. and I really enjoyed the discussion about Shalna Lecha. And I just wanted to add that there the term Neshel Hanachash in Hebrew means that outer uh, layer of scales that a snake sheds. Mm. And I think that sheds some more light on the verb and how it's used and whether it's passive or more active that it's neither sort of it's in between it's not completely passive but it's not a pulling off kind of uh verb in that context very so, nice the, the, the verb it's neshel neshel hanachash yeah yeah oh. it's like the the yeah. thing the sloughed off very interesting the shedding the shedding of the slot right that's the word yeah very good so that 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 um that reinforces the line of thinking that we were looking at last week of, of, of this is a slipping, a, a, a slipping off as opposed to an untying of, of a shoe. Good. Neshel Hanachash. Thank you for teaching me that, that, that phrase. Um, okay. So let's move to verse six. And as we have been discussing the last few weeks, we're going to be witnessing, even at our pace, um, a little bit of uh, quiet from Rashi. And we've been discussing how, you know, is, is this a nothing or is this Rashi taking a step back as Moshe is being asked to do and just watching the scene happen rather than commenting on every single word, which he sometimes does. Over the next few verses, he's going to say very few things. Um, Renee, would you please read uh, verse six, Vayomer. Vayomer anuchi Elohei Avicha, Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov. Okay. So he said, uh, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his uh, face 
because he was afraid to uh, to to look at or gaze at uh, toward God. Good. So it's a verse where the vocabulary is pretty easy. So there, so that we we can jump over the basics of what the words mean. There are no hard uh, roots to deal with, um, and we can focus more on what we're supposed to be imagining in our mind with the phrase "Vayaster Moshe Panav." Right? What is it? In what way? Did Moses soter, hide, um, put aside his face? Um, and we can also linger on the interesting structure of the phrase, mehabit el Elohim, right? Ki yarei, for he feared. Meh, mem in, in biblical Hebrew means lots of different things. Remember, pre- uh, prepositions in biblical hero, biblical hero are like stem cells. They're pluripotent. They mean lots of different things based on where they appear. So mem which is the shortened of mean can mean from, but, but, but it can also mean um, with respect to um, and, and many other ideas built into it. So he was afraid for, you know, he was afraid to meh and then habit is from the verb lihabit to stare, but it, it's sort of like a gerund. He was afraid from staring at El Elohim. God's God, you know, to God, right? Which presages the uh, scene we're going to have in Parshat Ki Tisa when he actually requests to look directly at God's face and God says no. Here, in Moshe's first encounter, he's an instinctual understanding that he ought not stare. Later, once he's developed a chummy relationship with God, uh, Moshe says, please, please let me stare. So um, those are two kind of inflection points in the verse. And then I'm curious for people's thoughts on that and or other questions. So I see uh, Rick, and I see Andrew, and I see Matt. Rick, and I see Joel. Hi. So um, why the verb lehabit uh, instead of just like lirot or, or other ways to uh, see? Um, uh, in verse 4, we had uh, God vayaring, yes, and, uh, and Moses ere up in verse 3. But here it changes to staring. Um, so that would be a question. Um so that's Good. all. So n- not just the form of mehabit, but wh- why that shoresh, right? There are a lot of ways of saying, look at why, why do we have habit here? Good. Um, I think Andrew's hand was next. Uh, yeah, I-, I was curious about the timing of the hiding of the face. Um, is there something about immediately learning that this is God, father of the forefathers, um, that instills the fear because the fear could have been registered in the past Pusuk or two. It could have, after whoever this person was saying, do not come closer, he could have hid his face. So I'm curious if there's some sort of cause and effect in terms of God revealing uh, who he is and the hiding immediately thereafter. Good. And your question maybe asks us also to look at what the impact of the double vayomer is in verse five and verse six without an interruption. You know how like in English writing, when you, when you start a next paragraph in the middle of a quotation mark, you, you, you don't end the quotation mark at the end of the previous paragraph, but you start the quotation mark again in the second paragraph. So mm-hmm. God is still speaking. There has not been a response by Moshe. God said, don't come closer. God said, take off your shoes. God told him that the, that the land is, is holy. Verse five could have just been, in the middle of the quotation marks, God's still speaking. We have another Vayomer and then a response from Moshe. So you're, you're, you're wondering, I don't have an easy resolution for you. 
wh- which part of what God said to Moshe induces the hiding of the face? Interesting question. Okay. Um, I think that Matt was next. Hi. So um, just the questions. Um, Elohe, Yomer Anochi, Elohe. So that sounds plural to me. Avicha, your father, that would, is that one father or is that plural fathers? Good. Okay. I want to focus on the second one first. I forgot which commentary on it. One, oh, I think uh, Chizkuni says that the, the first of these phrases, Elohe Avicha, um, rather than read it as the God of your ancestors, because it's singular, this is God obliquely telling Moshe that your father, Moshe, is dead. Because Chizkuni says that God only refers to uh, God's self as being the God of uh, a parent, if that parent is a, a deceased tzaddik as opposed to a living tzaddik. Because um, why else is the phrase Elohe Avicha there, right? Uh, the reason why Elohe is plural, you're right, is, is because in, in, in referring to God, Elohim is always in the plural form, right? And we can go back into the, the etymology and to the, 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 the pre-theology of, 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 biblical, of biblical Israel as to why the, the, the plural form of God is present. But just grammatically speaking, Elohim is always in the plural. So whenever Elohim is declined in the Bible, it's declined as a plural noun, even if it's denoting a singular God. Yeah. But the Avicha is very interesting. Go ahead, Matt. I'm going to follow, follow up, which is sort of related. At the end of the sentence is, Lehabit El Ha Elohim. Yeah. Which we don't. Because I think we read it, we said Elohim, or, or the second we're talking about it, we said El Elohim, but it's really El Ha Elohim. Yeah, and we've just we found that a few times where occasionally, as if God is not definite enough, God gets a, 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 an article, a the, right? Um, uh, well, I, guess it, I guess in this case it means the one who is talking to you. Maybe, yeah. You're yeah. not speaking. Elohim Nisa et Abraham, right? The, 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 the divine God um, tried Abraham. Uh, I've never read good explanation as to when the ha is there and when the ha is not there. Um, so let's let's let those questions uh, lay lay in front of us. Uh, Elon and Joel, and then Noah, just, um, yes, go ahead, Matt. Sorry, just I, I think in this case because if we're speaking El Elohim, that would be like you look up to the sky and you're speaking to God, you know, in a very broad, diffuse way. And here, someone. A form, a, a manifestation of God is actually talking to you. So you, you, you're talking, you're looking at a specific manifestation or mm-hmm. incarnation or whatever it is. Hmm. That's why the ha is there. <sighs> yeah. I'm not sure if Uncleus is responding to the ha or just responding to, to the whole scene at, at the, um, at the end of Uncleus's translation, he renders are dahil. Kiare, he was afraid. Mila istakala, from looking at, he renders habit as from the lehistakel. Betzeit yekara dadonai at the at the, the the brilliant glory of God, as opposed mm-hmm. to just God. So there's something going on for Uncleus that mm-hmm. is either either he's dealing with the ha or he's breaking it down. As some of the other commentators on the page say, that it's not that he was. This was not. This was not like Yirat Elohim awe of God, which we normally understand in the tradition to be your, the source of your obedience, but literal fear 
at the emanation of God, and therefore he didn't want to look directly at at it. Is that related to the ha? Not not clear, but it's interesting that Uncleus does not just translate it word for word. Um, okay, I think oh, so many hands up. Wonderful, uh, Joel, you're next. No, I, Elon was next. Elon and then Joel. Sorry. Yeah, this, this is a question that not only applies to this line, but just in general. Is there a significance or any meaning when? instead of just saying uh, the God of your uh, forefathers, it's they actually list the God of Abraham and Jacob. Um, and obviously this occurs in the Torah, but also in liturgy as well, or is it just a random event? Yeah, um, we have to do a kind of a comprehensive look to, 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 to answer that fully. In in liturgy, it's common, right? In the Amidah, Elohe Abraham, Elohe Yaakov. And if you add the Imaot, you add the, the four as well. What's interesting here is that there's, in Moshe's life story, we don't yet have a great linkage to him and the story of Breshit, right? We have him growing up in the palace. We have him recognizing that the people out there who are being oppressed are, are him too. We can fantasize about what story he's been told. Like to what extent is Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov his forefathers? He considers them, he considers them to be his forefathers. What does that phrase mean to, to Moshe, right? Um, particularly because of his, his dual identity. So the fact that um, we've got four Elohe's in the verse, Elohe Avicha, the God of your father, is that a capital F father, meaning the God of your ancestor, and then the specifics, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, to Moshe's ear, what does that sound like? What is it invoking for Moshe? Um, and the Midrash plays with that, but the Pshat doesn't help us. The Pshat doesn't have us sitting seeing Moshe sitting around the campfire, hearing these stories from his parents, because his parents were not the ones who had those stories anyway, right? His, his childhood stories were Pharaoh stories, not Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov stories. He's not um, saying Avotecha. He's not saying Avotecha, right. It's, it's Avicha, which is, I think, the anchor uh, or, or the engine for Chizkuni's comment that this has to do with your, your individual father. Right? Mm-hmm. Um. This may set our record for number of hands up at any given point in a class. Uh, I think, Joel, you're next. Um, aren't we missing an et here? I mean, to my ear, it sounds like Vayaster Moshe et panav. I mean, just it, it just doesn't ring right. I don't know if there's a grammatical reason for that. Uh, good question. Um, yes, I would. you would think that Vayaster is a transitive verb, and it should... Uh, we have to think panav as a direct object, and the et is not there. Lichora, um, at first glance, um, I do not have an answer. However, Uncleus, maybe Uncleus helps us here, because Uncleus turns the verb into an intransitive verb, giving a preposition as opposed to a direct object. He also changes the verb. So if you look at Uncleus, going back to the beginning of the verse, Va'amar, he said, Ana elaha da'avuch, I am the God of your father. Elahad Abraham, the father of Abraham, Elah, sorry, the God of Abraham, Elahad Yitzchak, the God of Isaac, Elahad Yaakov, Uch Veshinun Moshe Laapuhi. He kind of, um, the Hebrew of Lichbosh means to conquer, right? Kibush, like the Kibush Ares is the conquering of the land. Here it's more like a, a pushing down, a, 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 a pushing down the head so that there isn't averting of his eyes. Um, and by rendering the verse that way, 
And by bringing in the Lamed, it's suggesting that the that either in the Aramaic or maybe Uncle is also talking about the Hebrew, this is a verb that requires a preposition, an intransitive verb, as opposed to a transitive verb. Uh, Marshall, do you have your Uncleus volume in front of you? And can you unmute so we can hear you? Yes, okay. And this is on verse... Uh, on verse 6. Yeah, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look toward the glory of the Lord. So he, tr- so your translation translates Uncleus translation as simply hid. Yes, that's a, and that's a translation of the Uncleus, not of the Torah. Of the Uncleus. Interesting. So then I'm then I then I'm as confused as as you were, Joel, as to why the Uncleus, why why the hid in Aramaic gets the indirect object of a preposition and not a direct object. And, and the absence of an et, I'm not sure. Uh, Verit, I saw your hand was up before. Do you have any, any, anything to respond to this particular question? Uh, actually, I wanted to talk about from Mehabit. So that, okay. That you, you are permitted. Am I permitted? Okay. So <clears throat> this is uh, Habit is the infinitive of this verb. The verb means to gaze or to look at something, but there is a difference if I'm looking, you know, through the window and I see the rain coming versus, you know, gazing on it and dreaming a little bit and seeing how it affects the the trees or whatever. So there is a verb in Hifil, habit, which is, what we call in grammar a naked infinitive. The Shoresh is nun bet tet. Thus, we have a dagesh in the bet. And then, if it's a naked, what we call infinitive, you can put bachlams in front of it. Lehabit, to look. Behabit, while looking. And mehabit means from looking, you know? So, depends. Habit, the hey is part of the infinitive. That's what I wanted to say. It's not any other hey. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I, not, I did not know that term, the naked infinitive. So it's, it's the it's sense of the infinitive without the lamid. It's the no, infinitive without four letters called bachla, uh-huh. like lishmor. So shmor will be the naked infinitive. And then you put lishmor, bishmor, kishmor. Uh-huh can put those four letters. Got it. And there is a difference, like in English, either you gaze at something out of astonishment or the, wow, look at this, something different, you know, this fire that is not consuming, is look versus simple to look, look at this page or something. So there's a difference. So um, uh, thank you for that. Going back one step to Joel's question, I want to show you something interesting in the in the Aramaic here. So if we look at um, Uncleus, turns the habit in sorry turns via stare into uch veshinun, right? So it's related to the Aramaic root um, kaf beit shin, which begins here. And if you see the Aramaic root, the way the way uh, Jastrow's dictionary works is that first he gives you the Hebrew root up here, kavash, biblical Hebrew, and then the Aramaic root, kivash, down here. Um, and they're not always the same meaning. And you'll see that this root has many different meanings. 
The first meaning is to press or to grade or to make a path, like the, the ramp up to the, uh, uh, the altar was, was called the kevesh. Okay? Then you've got also number two, to press on, to put on the head, uh, similar to the chavash, which is the, the proper root to say in Hebrew, when you're wearing a hat, you're not lovation a kova, you're choveshing a kova. And, uncle, and uh, Jastra said that's related to kavash here. To bind, to fillet, to inlay. That's the third meaning. The fourth meaning is to tread upon, to stamp out, to suppress and oppress is the fifth meaning. To withhold and to detain is the sixth meaning. To hide. The seventh of the seven uh, meanings of the Aramaic root, kaf, bet, shin, is to hide specifically the face or to close the eyes. And look at that. We've got what we call a jastro jackpot, a very rare jastro jackpot in Unclus. This was a great moment in yeshiva study when you would look up uh, a word in jastro and the example that jastro would give to tell you what it meant was the exact place in the Talmud or the Midrash you're looking at. Look what he says, Targum, that's, uh, that's Unclus, Exodus chapter three, verse six. So one of the, play, so Unclus, not Unclus, jastro was looking at this exact line of Unclus's translation as an example for how to understand what kevesh means, which means to hide. Doesn't answer why it's an indirect object, for me at least. Um, so your question, Joel, still stands. Okay, um, so many hands up. Uh, let's go uh, Marshall and then Norm and then Joanna, and then we'll continue on the rest of the list. Well, we know the Torah was present at creation because that's how the world was created. So I suspect that Moses got an advanced copy of it. But he was playing his cards very close to his chest because he would Moshe Panav. Normally, we have Hasterat Panim. God hides his face. Now Moses is hiding his face. And so the question is, why is it we have Moses hiding his face? And uh, Alter sort of gives us an interesting insight here where he talks about God's relationship to Abraham, where they spoke Panim el Panim. But Moses, reading ahead in the text, said, God, God, he said to God, Harinina et Kvodecha, in fact, show me your honor. And the guy says, Nope, Lo Yiraniha Adam Bachai, no person shall see me and shall live. So there's really a difference. And Moses was even afraid to look at the fire, which was not a direct uh, presentation, of, not, was not God itself, but he was even afraid to look at that, that fire. Yeah, I, I love that reference that Alder says to Panim al Panim because the Torah's memory of Moshe's relationship with God is panim al panim. But at each moment that you could imagine that they would be panim al panim, the Torah explicitly says that it didn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. First, Moshe here uh, being the one who conceals. And then later on, when God, when Moshe asks for the exposure and God says, no, you can only look me'achorai, right, at, at my backside. But when Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, is remembering Moshe's relationship with God, all of a sudden it's panim al panim. Great. Um, I don't even remember who I said next. Norm. Um, I wanted to talk about the importance of the Vayera. Um, God tells Moshe, take off your shoes. And he doesn't simply continue speaking and identifying himself. Moshe maybe says, okay, maybe just does it. He takes off his shoes. There's an intervening moment or three. And then God proceeds to identify himself in this very classic way. Say that again. I'm not sure. If, uh, 
I know there's a lot there, but I'm not sure I'm following the the, the, the causation you're suggesting. Say one I'm time. saying that the Vayomer being put there means it wasn't, he ah. could simply have had one quote for the whole thing because yeah. there are two separate speeches by God with some period of time intervening. And maybe even a response by Moshe that the Torah doesn't record because it isn't consequential. Got it. The second Vayomer kind of implies an ellipsis from the end of the previous verse and that Moshe responded to what God asked God to do. Nice. Thank you, Norm. Uh, Joanna. A couple of things. So the first thing I was thinking about, similar to the point that was made earlier about the liturgy, but like being in that moment in the liturgy, because I believe while even like a few verses later and other elsewhere, we have that triad of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Remember that phrasing that we have in the Amidah, Elohei Abraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov. I believe this is the first time we see it. So I'm wondering now, like, when we're davening, are we supposed to be back at the burning bush? Um, and then um, also on this whole thing of lehabit and what it is to look or to gaze upon God, I was thinking about two other things in Tanakh. When in a, just a few parshiot on, we know that um, B'nai Yisrael also have a difficult time in their first encounter with God. So there's something about gazing or looking at God on your first encounter that is just an incredibly overpowering experience. And then um, before we get to Deuteronomy, I was thinking about, um, I forget exactly where in Bamidbar it is, where Miriam and Aharon kind of speak up against Moses and God answers back to them and says, you know, basically don't speak about, that way about Moses because He's the only one that I allow to look upon me. Um, and the phrase there is tmunat Adonai. So this whole thing of looking at God and what does it mean to look at God versus to look at, like, why not just say that he looks at God? So there is there is something which is making me wonder about that mem here, mehabit. Why mehabit and not lehabit? You know, there's something about how even Moses gazes upon God and what aspects of God Moses is able to see when he does so. Good. I, I, I'm, I'm so taken by what you said, Joanna, particularly this microcosm, Moshe's initial encounter with God is a microcosm for the Israelites' initial encounter with God. And maybe all of our initial encounters with God is awkward and not, not knowing where to put your eyes and not even knowing not even being, un- being able to be sure what, what you're what, what you're seeing, and it's, and, and it's not going smoothly. Um, and so, thank you for both of those comments. Um, okay, um, we've got I think now Diane, Larry, Barry, Tova, and then Matt. As long as your hand is up again, and not for the previous time, I don't remember. So I'm hung up on um, God's speaking. Who's who's God speaking to, or when God speaks, and I quickly went back to see what he says when he speaks to different characters. I'm sure someone's written a dissertation on this. God speaks to Adam, and he speaks to Noah, he speaks to Abraham, and he doesn't introduce himself at all. He just says what he's going to say. He doesn't say, I'm God. He doesn't establish his credentials. I don't think he ever speaks to Isaac, to Yitzchak. I may be wrong. But when he speaks to Yaakov, that's the first time I saw that he actually says that I'm the God of your father. He's established his credentials. And now here he's establishing his credentials. Why, why does God feel the need to establish to, to, to Moses who he is? 
It's God. Uh, he's speaking from the bush. Why does he have to give like an ambassador presenting credentials to a court? Why does he have to establish who he, who he is? And then going further forward, I, I haven't looked at it. I'm wondering how many other times God actually does that with the Nevi'im, with the prophets, when he introduces himself, as opposed to just saying, I'm God. But to Joanna's point, just the last thing, here is God saying, I'm the God of your father and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not us saying, you are the God of our fathers. So it's, it's, it's actually a, 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 a turn. It's, it's very different than our trying to identify who this God is as opposed to God saying who he is to Moses. It's a turn on a turn if you think about it, because the way the liturgy plays this, when we say in the Amidah, classically, Elohei Abraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Elohei Yaakov, we're not, we're less identifying God. We're identifying us. Since, and talk about credential establishment. Since we, God, are the descendants of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and you love them, and you paid attention to them, it's on their merit that we come before you in, in penitence. So, and- right, so, so the, the, the Chazal in Davening turned God's presenting God's papers to Moshe into our presenting our papers to God as descendants of the very people that God linked God's self to in this presentation to Moshe. It's really an, it's an interesting switch. And we do this in the Pesuk and too, if you think about it, in the Leone Adam, the Ma'anachnu prayer, because that... Ma'anachnu, Amcha Bnei Britecha. Yeah, so who are we? We don't know, but we know who we are because we know who our ancestors were, and it's for that fact that we're going to praise you. Yeah, yeah, good. We, we might be a nothing, but our ancestors weren't. Right. Um, okay, Tova, Tova, Barry, Matt. Well, neatly picking up on the uh, uh, father or the God of, uh, what struck me with it is I feel like there's a connection to the high Elohim because we are given or reminded of that God has been known within this family, if you will, through the individual leaders, through God's relation with that individual leader. And that's how God has been known for these generations. And it just strikes me that with this high Elohim, um, God has suddenly been expanded. It's a very, it's a more expansive vision of God, which is also where we're going in terms of it's going to be God relating to a, a people, God that will ex- increasingly by that people re- be regarded not just as the God of that people, but the God of everything. Mm-hmm. So there's this transformation uh, that we're seeing uh, with th- that, that introduction and then the high Elohim. Nice, nice. Um, that, that also would be interesting to, to kind of follow and research whether or not yeah. the context of the high Elohim is suggesting a, a, a grander, wor- more worldly, universal God as opposed to the provincial God. I'm, I'm not sure that bears out, but all the time, but I, but I like, I like your read of it here. Um, by the way, before we uh, call him Barry, isn't it interesting that th- this is close to the most amount of time we've spent on a verse itself before even looking at commentary and Rashi doesn't say anything on this verse. Rashi like, Oh yeah, this, this verse makes sense. I don't, I don't, I, don't, I, I have no questions, no comments. You're sleeping, sleeping at the wheel. Barry. 
It just doesn't. The last comment you made, Rabbi, I, I think we really don't want to move forward. This after this, the whole story starts. So we we just want to stay where we are and not move forward. But okay, um, uh, the, the, until verse six, it, it's an experience. Moshe's had this experience with the bush and a voice talking to him. Uh, only in verse six is God saying, I am God. It's, God is introducing God's self to, to Moshe. And, and so now, uh, I think the ha is uh, Moshe is separating himself from what he's looking at. Say that again. Until now, Moshe's experience has been to, he sees a bush, he sees this flame, he hears a voice, okay? Um, this is Moshe's curiosity, he's observing this. Um, the, 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 the gazing, the, 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 this word for gazing all of a sudden, that this is like, it's almost like a, a, an intimate looking, an intimate looking. He, he, he can't do this. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the ha, he's separating himself from this Elohim. He, he has to pull back uh-huh. from this. The, 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 he, he, he can no longer be curious about it. He has to step back from it. Hmm. So there, we have a lot of possible reads kind of open right now as to what that ha and the, as a direct object is doing in that place. Thank you, Barry. Um, Joanna, Matt, are your hands up from now or from before? Sorry, from before. Okay, Matt? Yeah, just going back to the et, I, I don't really have an answer, but I'm, I'm theorizing. Uh, I think Marshall mentioned the phrase seter panav. So I think maybe it's not really a case of an indirect object, but rather an, an idiomatic usage of Seter. So, uh, hidden face of Seter Panav, and according to my dictionary, there's also something the um, Seter Libo, like in the depths of one's soul. And so, it could be, of course, that we've learned to use Seter Panav without the et, because that's the way it is in this pasuk. But, uh, right. So I'm wondering if it's either more or less than a t- typical verb usage. It's it's more idiomatic, hiddenness, hidingness. We're, we're we're way down a rabbit hole here, and I love this rabbit hole. Right, we're really focusing on we're we're lingering on the absence of an et. Right. Um, I remember I sent you something about where in the Talmud it says you shouldn't drash the et or the absence of an et. <laughs> well, but Rabbi Akiva said you should. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, yeah, in smichut, right? When you're putting um, two nouns together, and even if the first noun is a verbal noun, like a gerund, hastarat panim, right? Never be hastarat et panim. The, no, I can't even. I can't explain why in words, but the direct, the, the the untranslated direct object would fall out there. In the verbal form, though, normally you would, unless you're right. You're talking about almost like a. It's almost like a two-word verb where the where where the Noun is part of that particular f- phrasing, um, right. and 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 for reasons that we don't understand, it doesn't get it. And and again, I wonder, I wonder if Uncleus's l there is is not that he's telling us that, but it's just it's just illustrative of the fact that when he went from that Hebrew to the Aramaic, he didn't do yat, right? And he didn't put in a yat, which is the Aramaic et, and the fact that he that that the verb he chose is pulls alamid. As a as a preposition might suggest something about how this verb and noun form is constructed. Yeah, it's also the case, by the way, that 
there are probably many more places than uh, than we are actually mentioning it where an et is not there when it could be. Like we're focusing on this. It, right. I, don't, I don't think that the et is the, present every single time in a in a verb that in English would require, we would think of it as a transitive direct object verb. Um, and we're lingering on this now, which is great, but I'm not sure it's as much of an absence as we're making it out to be. Um, Rick, first of all, I loved your comment, Rick, that uh, there's no time for the et because Moshe responded so obediently. Vayaster, his face has already been been moved away. Uh, go ahead, Rick. Um, thank you. So the um, the Elohei Abraham Yitzchak Yaakov, we did just hear that in verse 24, where we had the four different ways that God is going to remember what He should, what He promised to do, you know, saving us and all that. The Shema Yizkor, the Yar, and uh, Vayeda. So the verbs are coming up again. Anyway, there you had Et Avraham, Et Yitzchak, and Et Yaakov. So there were lots of Ets there. Um, but um, we just had that, and, and the verbs are coming again. So that's all. Thank you. Um, okay. I think we have exhausted the, the questions on the verse, and that opens us up to go to the next verse. So if there's, unless there are, uh, if anyone against that, looks look at verse Seven, whom have we not heard from today who uh, can read? Uh, Carol, I know you've been on and off the Zoom. If you're still with us, do you want to read verse seven? Uh, yeah, I've been having audio issues. Can you hear me okay? We can indeed. Good. Thank you. Bayomer um, Adonai, Ra'o Ra'iti et, I'm assuming that's Oni. Correct. Instead it's of Ani, Oni Ami, Asher B'Mitzrayim. Et sa'akatam shamati mipne nog nog sav ki yadati et machovav. Good. So let's see if we can break that down. Okay, God said, um, "I I surely saw good uh, uh, the the uh, the suffering or her I guess the burden mm-hmm. of my people." Uh, that our oni is the same as 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 lechem oni in the in the Haggadah, right? The bread of affliction, affliction, right? The affliction of my people uh, that are in uh, Egypt, and their uh, their cries, their their calling out. I heard um, uh, uh, as a result of or in the in the face of. Um, Nog sav. I, I don't know. I, I I don't know what that is. Nog sav. The the uh, the nogais is uh, one of their oppressors. One of their uh, taskmasters. Okay, from the taskmasters of uh, uh, because of uh, I I I knew their. I'm assuming that's pain. I see coave in there. I just from their pain. Good. Okay. So um, we have a little bit of um, of a, a rhythm to the verse in Mipnei Nogsav Kiedati Ed Machovav. That that same ending makes it a little bit lyrical. Um, I love how you translated the Ra'oraiti. This is the occasional doubling of a verb that suggests a surely or a verily, and we can we can ask the question what the purpose of the intensive is here, right? Vayayim Shamoa Tishmu. If you verily listen to my commandments, so. What what in the verse 
is asking, is, is, is pushing God to say it not only as Ra'iti, but Ra'o Ra'iti. Um, and uh, we've got this question of uh, Nogsav, which is an interesting noun. Um, and, and, and once again, and uh, we're going to be thinking about what it means for God to say Yadati. What does it mean for God to say, I know or I knew? And Machovav is interesting now, right? They're, they're, they're pain. Right, they're they're kevim. So let's see um, who has questions or comments, either comments on some of the questions that were just raised, or separate questions before we look at what Rashi says on this verse. Because Rashi, Rashi, or I'll I'll say pseudo Rashi, because we're it's one of these Rashi comments where we're not exactly sure it's Rashi based on comparison with the first printing of Rashi. But there is Rashi attributed material on this verse. Larry, Can I ask I, a quick question while I'm unmuted? Yeah, I'm trying to understand the mem uh, in front of machovav. Yes, why? Why is it machov? Why is it machov as opposed to keev? Right. Is it the same thing like Vera had said before? Um, I think no. it, um, this isn't a verb. Right. I I would love to hear Vera's answer on it. There are Hebrew forms where I'm trying to think of a, of a, of a, of a one that's more common where in the, in the noun, a mem has been brought in to help create the word um, that's not part of the shoresh. So um, in, you know how in, uh, in a pa'al verb, um, or sorry, yeah, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a pl verb, that daber becomes midaber in the present tense, I need midaber, so that mem gets added in to help construct the verb it also happens in certain nounal forms so keev might be the proper word in modern hebrew and machov i'd be interested for to hear vered is machov even a word in modern hebrew i've never heard of it um vered do you have any thoughts on this well machov there is like we have a theory about verbs we have a theory about nouns and there is a form that you take roots and you can put a mem before of it. And this is a noun. Machov is a noun. It's not a verb. It comes from a verb, but it's not a verb. So there's all kinds of way to form nouns. And this is how it is. Machov. Um, let me think about like a, a pump, right? Is a is a, like lishov is to pump, but the pump is a a mashav, right? Or mas, a uh, mashov, 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 which is exactly the same pattern. The vowels have to match the sound; it's phonetic. So mashov, mashov is is the same form. It's a noun, not a verb here. Yeah. Mashovav is in plural. Mashovim. And then his or theirs is machovav. Yeah, great. Um, sometimes you see that, Carol, when you see modern Hebrew trying to extract um, modern meanings from ancient roots, like machshev, um, a computer is a machshev, right? So the, it has to do with the notion of lechashev, to compute, to, to, to think, to ideate. But in the constructing of a modern noun, this is not a modern noun, but in the constructing of a modern noun, often a mem is added in front of it. Um, and I, I know there's a, there's, a, there's a more precise way of describing that, uh, but it's a biblical process as well. Uh, Larry, Diane, and Rebecca? Okay. 
So this is a, a question about the tense of, of these verbs. They're all in past tense, which seems a little odd since, since the suffering is continuing. Um, and and I'm, I'm just wondering why, why God says, um, I saw their suffering, but not I am seeing their suffering since the suffering is continuing. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a it's a good question, both Klal and Prat, right? The Prat question is why in this scene is God, Klal Prat means general and specific. In this scene is is all of God's presentation before Moshe seeming to be in a past or a perfect tense as if what God is describing God's having seen or God's having heard, God is no longer seeing and hearing, right? That's the notion of a of a of a perfect verb is that the action is over. And then greater than that, right? And we've discussed this many times as we resolved it. How can we, how do we graph on our, our grammatical understanding of Hebrew past tense and Hebrew perfect tense and Hebrew present tense onto our English understandings of it? And, 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 they, and they don't exactly match, right? So there are plenty of places in the Torah where we would expect a present tense verb where we get some version of this. So it's still worth asking why here, and it's also a larger inquiry um, because they just don't match up 100%. Um, so I'm, if anyone has any any thoughts about that, I'd love to hear it um, while we're waiting for that. Rebecca? Yeah, so I wanted to I wanted to say two things. First, to go back to Machov, I think at least in the context of modern Hebrew, Machov would be the thing that is causing the pain. So it would be like the wound that causes the ke'ev more than the actual ke'ev, I mm. think, in my, in my mind. Uh, the, my, my sort of question was the, about the ra'o ra'iti. Is that like saying, um, indeed, I did see? So he's sort of answering the question that is not being asked as, why, why is this happening? Why haven't you done something yet? Is that kind of how it's usually used? Um, in halachic and Talmudic language, we have this notion of a hava amina, the, the thing I might have said, and therefore, since, since there's a supposition you might have thought I would have, I'm going to reinforce to you that I didn't have that supposition, right? So it's possible that the, that the doubling is to disabuse either this person in the scene or the reader of, of, of an idea that the speaker is definitely not having, Right. Um, you, you, what you thought I didn't see it. Oh, I did see it possible. I love the way Everett Fox translates these, um, doubling verbs. He doubles it in English in a very poetic way. Now, God said, I have seen comma. Yes. Comma seen the affliction of my people. That's in Egypt. It's forced, but it's lovely because it, it turns the doubling of the verb in Hebrew into a doubling in English. That makes sense. I've seen. Yes. Seen, um, uh, sometimes when it's a command form, we, we couldn't understand it that way because when God says, there's no, there's, there's no supposition that needs to be disabused of. There's just an intensifying. But when it's being um, used by the speaker, we can, we can wonder as to whether or not um, God is just trying to end the questioning as to whether or not God saw something. Um, before I see uh, Marshall and Larry and Diane, um, I'm fascinated. I have no idea what's going on here. I'm fascinated that Uncleus is translating 
these um, active verbs into passive verbs. Um, if you look at the uncle, if you have it, the Amar, and he said, by the way, it's the third verse in a row that begins with God saying, with, with the word Vayom, um, Vayomer, uh, but with um, the, uh, different trap, Vayomer Tipcha, Vayomer Rivi'i, and now Vayomer Adonai, Amunach Katon. So in the Anklas, Vayomer Adonai, God said, Migla Gli Kadamai. Uncleus retains the doubling of two verbs, but he turns it from I saw to it was certainly revealed before me. So interesting. There's an Aramaic word for to see. And he does it at the end of the verse also. Um, so at the end of the verse, ki adati admach ovav, right? The Hebrew has switched from the root lirot to see to the root leida to know. And Uncleus again renders it passive and renders it into this glei kadama, kadamai. Are glei kadamai. It has been revealed before me, yat kebehun, uh, their pain. Um, there's something there. I don't know what it is, but there's something there. If Marshall, if your book um, uh, sheds any light to it, I'd be, interest, I'd be interested to know because it's not an obligatory way of dealing with that, with those words. Marshall and then Larry Diane. Yeah. Um, so, the translation I have here is, then the Lord said, it has been revealed before me the servitude of my people, which are in Egypt, and their cry because of their taskmasters has been heard before me, for their pains have been revealed before me. Again, all in a passive. And then the next sentence, the translation here is, I will reveal myself to rescue them. We don't have that in the Hebrew itself, but we have it, maybe we have it in the, uh, in the Unculus. Right. Uh, so, right, you, you picked up on a third one. So even the sh- and the shamati in our verse gets rendered in Aramaic as shemia kadamai. It was heard before me. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know if this represents um, like a, a, a theology of Uncleus's time or Uncleus's generation that's, that would rather imagine something kind of coming before God as opposed to God as the active actor behind the verb. I'm not sure. But, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Marshall, but your hand was up or also, was there something else you wanted to say? Yeah. Um, Robert Alter does, you know, Robert Alter oftentimes is very uh, conscious of the order of the, uh, the words in a sentence. And his translation here sort of switches it. And it's sort of interesting to me. For he said, and the Lord said, Ra'oraiti, I indeed have seen the abuse of my people that is in Egypt, comma, and and it's outcry because of its taskmasters, period. And then he says, Shamati, I have heard, comma. Uh, and then he says, for I know its pain, kiyadati et machovav. So he has two, on the first two verbs, and then suddenly he comes to a conclusion. And why? Because I have, uh, I know its pain. Yeah. So a lot of the translators are stymied by that because the key is hard to translate here. As we, key is also a pluripotent word, because, for, as a result of. Um, if the key is a because, it doesn't make sense with the, with the antecedent. I have, heard, I, I, I have heard their cries in, as a result of their cast masters because I've known their pain. The, 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 I, I've known their pain seems to be another thought, which makes us under, question what the key is. Um, 
Everett Fox doesn't put a period, puts a semicolon. Now, God said, I, it's written as yud hey vav hey. I have seen, comma, yes, seen the infliction of my people that is in Egypt, comma, their cry, have I heard in the face of their slave drivers, semicolon, indeed, comma. He renders the key as indeed. Indeed, comma, I have known their sufferings. Because it does seem like another thought, not a, a causative idea. So the key is, uh, uh, is worth lingering on as well. Um, Larry, Diane, and then Barry. Oh, I, I thought Marshall was going to comment on this. This is uh, from Alter. The three verbs here, her, uh, see, heard, and know. And if you recall, at the end of last chapter, we had the heard, remember, and know. And the know had no direct object. So he couldn't figure out what God knew, except we speculated God knew the suffering or knew the pain. But continuing along those lines, so God saw the action that was causing the problem, the taskmasters. He heard the reaction. He heard the crying. But what did he know? He knew the actual pain, which is not the reaction. It's the consequence of what was going on. So each verb is referring to a different aspect of the um, it's not an event, but of the condition of slavery. Yeah. To see the imposition of the slavery, to hear the complaining, the outcry against slavery. But what you really know are the horrible consequences of that enslavement, which, which without making a political point, I will say we can apply to a lot of conditions in life. Yeah. Good. To really know what the true consequences are, the pain. Yeah, so you're almost reading Kiadati at Machovav as a summative uh, idea uh, that, 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 that emerges from the information in the first two-thirds of the sentence. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's why I like Alters basically separating it. And I even like the way in which the translation in JPS is, yes, I am, my, um, yes, I am mindful. Uh, are you reading from the Eitzchayim Chumash there? Uh, no, actually, that that's from the um, Sfario, which I think is JPS. Can, does someone who have the Eitz Chaim Chumash read that this entire verse from from it? I don't have it in front of me because that's that's certainly the JPS translation. No one have it. I ha- I, I have a JPS Tanakh in front of me. Okay, let's hear that. Let's hear the enti- all the English in, in that in verse uh, seven. And the Lord continued. I have marked well the plight of my people in Egypt and have heeded their outcry because of their taskmasters. Yes, I am mindful of their sufferings. I like, so I like, I like the ending of that translation. I don't love the beginning, but I like the ending. The, the, this, it's, it's Alter and JPS and Ever Fox are dealing with all of the same questions. What, how are we supposed to understand those last three words? What's the purpose of the key? And it seems to be a, a, a comprehensive understanding uh, and that ends up being a good ramp into uh, Rashi's comment on the verse, which um, we're, we may or may not get to after Barry speaks. Go ahead, Barry. Well, uh, my, my sense of what I'm hearing is it, 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 God's court has brought to God the, the cry and the pain. And God now, the ruler, the judge, it, it now knows this. The, the testimony has... has, has has arrived where the testimony needs to go. 
Um, let, let's look at the Rashi quickly. If you're in our books, you see that it's in brackets with the um, footnote 84 saying, that's not in the initial printing. So we're not certain that this is originally Rashi. One of the reasons why it might not be Rashi, aside from the fact that it might not be Rashi, is that what he's going to say, he's already said a version of. And Rashi sometimes repeats himself, but, but doesn't often. Um, Carol, with your blessing, I'm going to read it quickly just because we're running out of time. I have known their pain. Kimo, just like Vayeda Elohim, like the last time we had a verb like this, and by the way, Rashi commented on it, that God knew. Kilomar, ki samti live, I have placed my heart, to, to look closely at, to investigate, and to really know et machovav, their pain. Velo elamti eni, I did not, um, I did not hide my eyes. I did not do the exact thing that Moshe just did, was to hide his face. Velo etom ozni, and I, Etom was like a stone. I did not um, uh, close my ears, mitzakatam, from their crying. Several things happening in this Rashi. One, Rashi, once again, is dealing with the question of what, what does it mean to say that God knows? If, if you say that God knows X, you're suggesting it was possible for God not to know X. And if we're dealing with an omniscient God, then, then there, there's, there's no not knowing that was possible. So what does it mean to say that God knows? Ah, so it doesn't mean that God knows as opposed to not knowing. God knows in the sense of God focuses on. God leans into. God does not do whatever God could do to interrupt that knowledge. It's different than, than a human saying, um, I didn't know X and I learned it and now I do. That doesn't apply to a divine being in our theology. It's a intimate connection to that will turn into action, right? And, and Rashi said something similar to that on Vayeda Elohim a, a few verses ago. The language there was Natan Alehem Lev. God had placed God's heart upon them. Velo Elim did not hide Enav, his eyes from them. Not that it was possible for God not to know, but in this knowing God chooses to act, which is also something, going back to what Larry said, we can apply to lots of situations. There are a lot of times where we human beings, Yodea, and it does not lead to hit bonanut, looking closely. And it actually does lead to halamat ayin, to choosing not to see. That's not the divine way of knowing. Um, Marshall, your hand went up. Uh, just the extended uh, JPS commentary on the word sa'akatam says the Hebrew word sa'ak is one of the most powerful words in the language pervaded by moral outrage and soul-stirring passion. It denotes the anguished cry of the oppressed, the agonized plea of the helpless victim. Great. So when we meet next week, we'll, we, we went through that Rashi quickly, and if there are, are, are comments on it, I'd love to hear it. And then we'll push on to the next few verses where Rashi is going to be quiet for quite some time. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.